best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey there, good Thursday evening to you. Fast Friday is upon us tomorrow. Jake Query here along with Mike Thompson. Sam Rumsa is our producer for Beyond the Bricks. Sam Fritz helping out as well. Eddie Garrison has helped us with this program as well. Uh, Mike, I don't know about you. Are you a fan of birthday cake, Mike? I like birthday cake. Unfortunately, I can only eat specific kinds now due to my being a celiac, but I do love a good birthday cake, yes. Well, I will tell you that Taylor's Bakery, for example, who have been lifelong supporters of the Quarry family at 62nd and Allisonville in Indianapolis, makes a fabulous orange fluff birthday cake. I don't know how else to describe it other than it's an angel food type cake that has an orange frosting that's become a Quarry staple for birthdays. And we might have to go and get a Taylor's Orange Fluff Cake for today because we are celebrating a birthday. Seems like there's a lot of drivers that are born in the month of May. Elio Castroneves is a May birthday. So, too, another multiple winner of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And I'm talking about a guy that I know you like as well. Uh, one of our favorite guys, Mike, it's the birthday of Dario Franchitti. Yes, and I'm very excited about this because unabashedly of all the drivers that I've been lucky enough to meet, and as I think I've told you before, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be able to meet one Indy 500 driver, and I've been lucky to become friends with a few drivers. Of all the few, of all the, the few people I, I can say I know, this person is my favorite driver I've ever met. Um, he's he's a, become a friend of mine, and he's just one of the most genuine people I've ever met in my life. Uh, he helped me out in a really, really difficult time. Uh, I don't talk about too much, but uh, I, uh, I had open heart surgery in, in Indianapolis at Methodist Hospital, and I probably would have either never got out of there or I'd still be laying in a hospital bed if it wasn't for him in, in 2012 helping me get out of my hospital bed. So um, this guy means an awful, awful lot to me and, and is very, very important to me. So I'm glad we're celebrating his birthday today. Talking about Dario Franchitti, who was born on this date in bathgate scotland and a lot of people i know it's interesting to go back on the wayback machine and this is one of the favorite if you will donald davidson tidbits that he does about drivers that seemingly are from one nation but in actuality are from another and dario franchitti of course by name you would assume that dario franchitti is italian he is of italian heritage but his family eventually moved to Scotland, which is where in Bathgate, that I may have said Bathgate, England. He was born in Bathgate, Scotland, um, which is essentially, if I'm not mistaken, my Scotland geography is not of expertise. I don't know if you have been to Scotland, Mike, but the area he's from is outside of Edinburgh. I have not much uh, Scotland geography knowledge, so I'm going to have to trust you on that one. What I do know is this. If you're going to have birthday cake, you got to have ice cream. And what I know is that Dario Franchitti's father is 
or was in the business of ice cream. And when Dario Franchitti started showing, as a matter of fact, Dario Franchitti began racing go-karts at a very young age. And several years ago, for his birthday in the month of May, he did not know it, but the original go-kart that he began racing, and I'm talking about one probably before he was winning the Karting Scottish Junior Championships in 1984, which he did, the British Junior Championships in 1985 and 1986, which he did, the Scottish Senior Karting Championships in 1988, which he did. Before any of those, I think he was essentially tooling around in a little blue and red go-kart that somehow or another was found and given to him the original cart for his birthday at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and he was overly emotional about it and seeing that cart that launched everything for him. He went through the proper channels of racing over in Europe that one would to try to climb through the ranks before beginning um, as many do and I think this is pretty common obviously Mike and that is Dario Franchitti probably was not alone in the fact that when he was racing in things like British Formula 3 and other series he had his eyes one would assume on Formula 1 oh I believe that's the case yeah I, I think that he like many drivers, as you said, that, you know, that's the ultimate goal. It's, uh, you know, it's it's the pinnacle of, of motorsport uh, for many is to get to Formula One. But, but you know, he, you know, he made his way in cart early on and really established himself. And, and I think he really took to, to racing in America pretty early and really enjoyed it coming out of the box uh, as soon as he as soon as he got here when he started racing for uh, for Carl Hogan. Carl Hogan gave him his opportunity, his first really big opportunity in 1997. And so he decided to go ahead and cash in on that, if you will, and see exactly what he could do in finding a home in cart. Here is Dario Franchitti of his recollection of driving for Hogan Racing. And, you know, as a rookie, I was just, I was the only way I knew to get a lap time was to drive at 105%. And the problem with doing that was, I tended to go off quite a bit, um, but it was a, it was a, it was a, a real sort of baptism of fire. And I was, I was lucky that Carl was 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 patient, um, in 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 that opening year. And then, you know, I got the opportunity to go to to Team Green and really step up to a to a front running team, and and that was, you know, that was a, that was a big change as well. And once Dario Franchitti made that change and went over to Team Cool Green, as it was known for a while, Team Green, running for Barry Green, that was when he really got his breakthrough in cart. I said at the time, Mike, I said, we, we found every way to lose a race. And, you know, we'd, we'd, I led quite a few races that year. And got, I don't know how many poles, but it was quite a few. And, and as I went off. Um, and I didn't know how to win a race. And I think Toronto, ninety-eight. I was leading it by you know, over ten seconds with not a lot of laps to go, and I went off because I was trying to destroy the field rather than just win the race. And when I won the first one at Road America, I sort of looked around and went, "Ah, okay, that's how you do it." And once I knew that, and once I got the confidence and the, the kind of understanding of how to win, you know, a, a race like that, then. 
then it, it wasn't nearly as difficult. All of a sudden, things started to kind of come together. And, you know, what really came about, I think, Mike, was not just a familiarity for Dario Franchitti in racing kart cars and figuring out how to win races, but also eventually being surrounded by people with which he felt comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think he he again he he made a home here and and really developed a lot of relationships and strong strong bonds, strong relationships with with other competitors. Um, you know, uh, the late Greg Moore really comes to mind immediately because uh, you know I I knew Greg and I considered Greg a friend. I mean, I wasn't best friends or anything with with Greg. I don't want to overstate that, but Greg knew who I was and and was always very very cordial to me and. And, uh, you know, Dario and Greg were very, very close. And I think that it, it just really helped Dario's career when he, you know, he built these bonds and, and, you know, he would, he would run with, you know, guys like, you know, Max Pappas and Tony Kanaan and, you know, they were always so much fun, you know, uh, and later on in years, you know, talking about the, the Andretti green team, you know, with, with Herta and Kanaan and, you know, Dan and, it just seemed like they were the fun bunch. They always had so much fun together. And so I, th- I think it really made a huge difference in his career. So Dario Franchitti, as you talked about him, and everything kind of came together for him in 2007. You mentioned Greg Moore, Mike. We, we will get to that in terms of his relationship with Greg Moore and, and everything that went into that. But in 2007, as you had talked about with Andretti Green Racing, I mean, you had this magic team, Tony Kanaan and Brian Herta and Dan Weldon, and Dario Franchitti. And that was the year when Franchitti, of course, in 2005, he had a pair of wins. But 2007 was a year where not only did he win a championship, but there was a unique Indianapolis 500-mile race because that was a race that was shortened by rain. Tony Kanaan was leading. Dario Franchitti, if I'm not mistaken, had a cut tire where he had been kind of shuffled back to the back of the pack and had to work his way back through and no one really knew exactly how long that race was going to take because we didn't know if more rain came whether or not the race would be checkered whether it would be under caution red flag whatever they would do but Dario Franchitti worked his way back up to the front of the field and on lap 166 the skies completely opened up Dario Franchitti found himself his first Indianapolis 500 win. Here is Franchitti's recollection of the way it all went down for the 91st Indianapolis 500. At that point, so I had John Anderson on my radio. And Ando was, uh, uh, he had, I think he lived in Brownsburg. He had his buddies lived in Brownsburg and they were having a barbecue or something. And, and he came on the radio at one point and said to me, because we we the race had been stopped once already, and um, you know the rains was we were kept having these caution flags, and he said to me he's like, okay mate, the rains in Brownsburg, and and you know we just got to hold on here, and I'm thinking, where's Brownsburg? <laughs> <laughs> so I had to kind of get my geography lesson on uh, Indianapolis. So once we figured out that, then we had another couple of restarts, managed to keep the lead. I think Dixon was second through those restarts, so I was having to hold him off which is no easy thing. And then um, we had another yellow, and Ando said something like, I think that was when Marco flipped on the backstretch. And Ando said, look, the, the, the rain is literally four blocks away. And then it came, and then it was just, got to get this thing around to the finish line because it was raining so hard, and the, you know, it, the car did not, even at pace car speed, I couldn't keep up with the pace car. So I just wanted to get to that finish line. And 
and that was it. Don't feel as bad now about not knowing exactly where Bathgate is in Scotland. I guess I could make a deal with Dario that I will learn that exact geography now that he knows where Brownsburg is. Fair is fair. But Frankiti, of course, with that win, those were the days when Dario Frankiti was basically shaving his hair, keeping it short. He's got great hair, too, if you don't mind me saying so. But Dario Frankiti's thoughts on getting his face permanently affixed for the first time on the Borg Warner Trophy in 2007. It was all a bit of a... A daze, to be honest. I mean, some of that was just the the the, the whirlwind nature of winning the 500. Some of it was to do with the fact I'd been out with my Scottish friends till seven o'clock that morning, and that was sort <laughs> of a, I think that picture was taken about 7:45. So, um, but the the, the, the realization, I think that was the, the thing. I I sort of looked at the trophy before, but never never got too close. I was never one for for looking at trophies um, before you you sort of won them. And to, to to actually sit and study the faces and, and to see Jim's, it just I just caught Jim's likeness on the trophy, and it was that was that was the moment they caught. Um, you know, and I've spent a load of time now studying the trophy. In fact, I, I was fortunate enough that um, the Borg Warner guys and, and Steve Shunk brought it round to the house in in you know, just outside London here where I live, and <laughs> it stayed the night, which was pretty cool. So I got to spend a whole lot of time with it, and. Um, it is it is incredible, and it, it, that that big trophy just it means the world to me. And of course, there were others on his team whose faces have lined up along the Borg Warner. We mentioned that AGR Super Team: Tony Kanaan, Dan Weldon, Brian Herta was a heck of a driver. Didn't win the Indianapolis 500, but those four were all hijinks, all fun. It was a magical time for Frankie and the rest of them with Andretti Green in 2007 on that Super Team. It was a darn fun one too. Yeah, that was that was fun. You know, that was a word to describe it. You know, Dan, Tony, Brian, myself. Um, I guess very different people, sort of different age groups almost. But we 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 had a we had a good time, and we were. I think we had a good time as well. We were successful. You know, with the Honda engine at the time was was very strong, and the team was was firing on all cylinders. And we we yeah, what what wasn't to what wasn't to love? It was. Uh, you know, there's times we had a fallen out on track between the four of us. And we 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 can we fixed that pretty quickly when it when it happened, um, and it was it was somewhat easier to keep control when there's four people in a team who are all close. If one steps out of line, the other three can kind of corral them back in, and that happened on a number of occasions. But it was um, it was great. I've, I've been so lucky to have teammates like like those guys. You know, like Scott Dixon, um, you know, Paul Tracy. Just, it, it, you know, the, every every teammate I've had, I've I've been friends with, and that was um, not not everybody can say that. So I, I definitely feel lucky to have that, that that situation. Speaking of friends with Dario Franchitti, Mike touched on it. When we come back, he's one of the great sportsmen in all of auto racing. But Dario Franchitti has also seen his world turned upside down, literally and figuratively, with what can be the challenging side of racing emotionally, physically, and beyond. We'll get into that with the three-time winner of the Indianapolis 500 celebrating his 48th birthday today, 49th, I should say, 49th birthday today, Dario Franchitti, when we come back to Beyond the Bricks. And here comes Marco. Oh, look out! Airborne! Franchitti's upside down! Dixon is involved! 
Golden is involved. Airborne up here, got up into the pit. We got him coming down. That was 2007 at Michigan. Marty Reed on ABC. The call is Dario Franchitti got airborne. Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson talking about Dario Franchitti on this, the 49th birthday of the three-time Indianapolis 500-mile race winner. And, Mike, I remember that vividly when that happened, and it was a miracle uh, that Dario Franchitti was able to, you know, be celebrating his 49th birthday. You thought the worst when you saw that happen. Yeah, that was a bad one. Uh, really, really a bad one. And yeah, I thought the worst as well on that. So uh, very, very fortunate uh, that he escaped without injury on that. And if I'm not mistaken, that was not the first time that his car had gone in the wrong direction, correct? That was the first of two. The first then the next two, yeah. race, he actually went airborne again in a, in a strange accident that happened at uh, Kentucky. He got airborne there as well the next race. So Dario Franchitti had a season where suddenly he got airborne twice. Here's the Scotsman's recollection. It, it was, I'll tell you what, it was hard to get back in the car after the second one. Not so much the first, but the second one when it, it was within six days, it flipped again. Um, and, and it was hard to get back in the car. I remember phoning my brother and saying, this, I'm starting to freak out here. This is a little um, intense. And that was even on a road course, but um, I was able to to get back in the car in the super speedway at Chicago and, and win that and and win the championship. But um, it's funny, I was thinking about that this morning because there was a picture posted of the the, the Andretti winning cars in, inside the museum. And I saw my car there and I thought, Phew, it's looking better than the last time I saw it because that was the car that we I flipped at Michigan and ripped the roll hoop off. So that, that car's had some major surgery to get it back to the the, uh, the beautiful condition it's in now. You know, I think that all drivers know, Mike, the risk. And all of them know that eventually it will be they will be told when it's time to walk. For Dario Franchitti, for those that are unfamiliar, I, I want to go back to, and we'll get to his thoughts about Greg Moore as well. But Greg Moore was fatally injured, of course, before Dario landed with Andretti Green. And that was at the conclusion of the 99 season. Am I correct in that, Mike? That's correct. The uh, the 99 cart season, the last race on Halloween. At Fontana, when Greg Moore, the Canadian driver who was mega talented, was fatally injured. And there was no secret that he and Dario Franchitti were very close friends. And then Franchitti has that happen, and you know says hey it, it it's tough to get back in the race car and we talked about dan weldon his teammate at andretti green and the hijinks and the pranks and you know everything that went in to play with them and of course frankiti was in the field i recall dario frankiti mike that race in las vegas in 2011, where Dan Weldon was fatally injured, also in October, in the month of October, um, Dario was one of those that was not shy about voicing his concern of having the number of cars that they had on that track in Las Vegas. And I'm not here to point blame at anybody. I, I don't know that there's blame to be pointed. But they knew that there was perhaps a danger in that sort of a pack racing 
But it's interesting to hear Dario Franchitti, who I think of as, you know, obviously the bravery that goes into it. And you think about the skill set that goes into to driving these cars and all that goes into it. Mike, that's pretty powerful stuff to have him saying right there that, you know, as early as 2007, he starts kind of getting those goosebumps getting in the car. Oh, yeah. I mean, and we're we're lucky we have someone as articulate as Dario is to to articulate those feelings and, and be willing to share those feelings with us. And I hearken back to the day, you know, we lost Greg. Dario was fighting Juan Pablo Montoya for a championship that day. And the day he was, you know, we lost Dan. Dario was fighting Will Power for a championship that day. And, and you know, those are days that, that, that Dario should have been celebrating the opportunities to win championships and instead he lost two of his closest friends on both of those days and just you know that I, I when i did that interview with dario you know i i almost didn't want to bring it up but i knew i had to but it just rips the heart out of you because you know i knew dan really well i mean i did i worked with dan at sports locker at, at uh, wish tv he was our, our driver analyst so i mean i knew dan for for years and it just rips the heart out of you thinking about the fact that, you know, that that happened on, on two opportunities where it should have been a, a day of celebration potentially for Dario. And, and then he lost his two of his best friends that day on each of those two days. And, and then you're, you're thinking about that soundbite that you just talked about, about him saying that he was thinking about, you know, I don't even know if I can get back into this car after flipping over twice. And just the mindset you have to have, I, I just, look, I, I'll be completely candid with you. I broke my neck on I-70 at Holt Road in 2014. I broke all my ribs, broke my neck, broke my shoulder. I still can't drive on a highway to this day. I can't do it. I, I don't understand the mindset of these guys who have a huge accident like Sebastian Bourdais had or or some of these guys have had where then they're back right back in the car. I mean, I, I can't get that mindset because I still to this day can't drive on a highway for what happened to me when I got hit by a semi and broke my neck, you know? So, I, I mean, I, I admire these the folks that can not only can put that fear away, uh, but can do what they do at a high level at 230 miles an hour. I mean, I just, there's no way I can do that. They're way more mentally strong than I am. Here is Dario Franchitti on the dark side of racing, that of losing friends to the sport. You know, I, the best way to, to say it, Mario, I think, did it. And I think when Ronnie had his accident, Mario said something like, and racing, racing is also this. Um, and that's, that's the, 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 the tough part of it. And it absolutely sucks when that happens. There's no, there's no other way to, to, to gloss over it. Um, it's yeah, it, it's just a, it's a horrible thing when it happens, and you know even after retired, you know when Justin, you know when Justin passed away, and I, this is not about me. This you know the, I, I was one of many many people who who lost great friends. So um, it's just it's not a it's not a nice thing about racing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an understatement, but it's. Um, it has been part of it, and it, I have to say, IndyCar and in the sport in general have worked so hard to make it safer, um, and that is that's much appreciated. And of course, Justin Wilson, he referenced there, Dan Weldon that we talked about in Las Vegas. But let's go back to Mike, the relationship between Dario Franchitti and Greg Moore. I don't know that um, 
there are two drivers that perhaps it's been more documented in the last 15 or so years of the brother-like bond between two drivers like Dario Franchitti and Greg Moorhead. No, I agree with you, Jake. I mean, the fact is that that they they were like brothers. I mean, they were so very, very close. I mean, they you always saw the two of them together. They parked their motorhomes next to each other in the paddock. I saw them park their motorhomes together at, at Detroit, and they were always together. And it just... It just was, it just, again, it just ripped the heart out of you when we lost Greg and Greg was just such a special guy. I mean, I always tell people if, if you never got to meet Greg Moore, I feel really bad because Greg Moore and Dan Weldon, two of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet in your life. Um, just Greg was just one of those people. You always put a smile on your face. I mean, every time I ever talked to Greg, he always was friendly. He always had time for you. He always made you feel like you were special and not the other way around. I mean, I always was like, I'm like, this is Greg Moore, man. This is, you know, famous race car driver. And Dan was the same way. Dan was really good. You know, Dan, obviously so well, Dan was really good at that. Dan was so good at making fans feel so special. And Greg was that way too. And I always just tell people, if you never got to meet Greg Moore, I feel really bad because Greg was so special. And, and Dario is that way too. Dario's, I mean, Dario's the nicest person in the entire world, I think. I mean, he's just, he's such a good guy. And you could tell why those two guys were friends. Um, it was just so easy to see why they bonded. And they were like brothers. And so it was just, it was just such a gut punch when we lost, when we lost Greg. Here is Dario Franchitti on Greg Moore. Well, I think that he, he meant different things to different people um you know when you when you watched him drive a car as, as a fan i think a fan that watched him drive a car you just thought crikey <laughs> wow you know because he did he did stuff with with the car that, that really nobody else was doing and you know he, he drove it so on the edge and it was it was a brilliant thing to see and you could see his talent and I think that shows results and the results book if you look back at stats they don't tell the full story you know, the guy had so much talent and just was never really in the consistently in the right car at the right time because of you know multiple engine manufacturers all that stuff but you know he was he unfortunately for greg he was he was in the position going forward to do that but but um obviously he had his his, his accident at, at fontana but um that was one side of him i was fortunate enough that he was he was my, my best friend and um he was the the he was the, the driver that i think that brought all the other drivers together and so we became this kind of traveling brotherhood and we got we raced really hard on the track but we 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 had a good time off of it, and all, we, we all generally got on together. And, and the friendships I made there, I still have have a lot of them today. You know, Max, Tony, um, you know those guys, and a, a lot of that was to do with Greg. And I think, to a certain degree, you still see those friendships in the in the IndyCar paddock that the drivers still are able to have a a relationship off the track, but be com- be fiercely competitive on it. And that, I think that stems back to him. Dario Franchitti on. The late, great Greg Moore. When we come back, it's a change of team, but it's the same results for Dario Franchitti times two more times. We'll get into that in talking about the times of Dario Franchitti on his 49th birthday here on Beyond the Bricks. 
Well, he had slowed down on the previous lap. We'll never know if, in fact, he was going to have enough fuel to complete this one under green, but it doesn't matter. The twin checkers are out. Dario Franchitti is a two-time winner of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Mike King on the call for the IMS Radio Network as Dario Franchitti takes the checkered flag at the 94th Indianapolis 500-mile race. Franchitti holding off Dan Weldon of all drivers, his very good friend, of course. And at that time, it was interesting, Mike, because you kind of get into, you know, you had these drivers that were all part of that super team together at Andretti Green Racing. And now all of a sudden, Dario Franchitti is driving for Chip Ganassi, Dan Weldon for Panther Racing. So that's kind of how the world turns in the world of racing. That's right. All of a sudden, you're on you're on opposite teams. I mean, uh, Dario, you know, had left and did the NASCAR thing, and then the sponsorship that didn't end up working out. And then he, you know, he was pretty candid. He he missed it. He wanted to come back and and was able to slide into a you know a prime ride at with uh, Chip Ganassi, and it, that really worked out obviously because uh, tremendous tremendous success with that with that organization. And by the way, that caution that had come out at the end there was for an accident involving Mike Conway and Ryan Hunter Ray as Dario Franchitti became a two-time winner. But as we had talked about, Franchitti had made the move over from Andretti Autosport, Andretti Green Racing as as it was known at that time, and winning that second Indianapolis 500, it was not a new team for him per se at that time, but it was a new team in terms of him winning the Indianapolis 500-mile race for Dario Franchitti. Dario Franchitti had gone over to Chip Ganassi, and, you know, he had a year in stock car, but then now running for Chip Ganassi in IndyCar. Here is Dario Franchitti on landing with Chip Ganassi Racing. Well, well, Chip and I had sort of... The, the, the NASCAR thing had, had finished because we didn't have a sponsor, and Chip was hemorrhaging his own money on the deal. So, um I was sort of doing, I think I was doing nationwide races on a sort of race-by-race basis. And I went to Detroit, and I was really looking, uh, trying to get a sports car ride because I'd sort of convinced myself that I didn't really want to do IndyCar anymore. And I'd gone to Detroit to watch my brother race. And I saw Dixon. I stood at turn two, and when they come over the crest at uh, at Detroit, I saw Dixon, you know, flying through there, and I just thought, ah. And that's when I, I sort of, I realized I'd been kidding myself, and I thought, I've got to get back in this. And so I went and talked to Mike Hull. Um, Mike was asking how it was going. I was walking down the paddock, and I told him um, that I, you know, I, I didn't want to do it. And now I've, you know, I realized I do, but all the good drives had gone, and I wasn't going to drive something at the back of the grid. So I was you know, feeling a little frustrated. And, but he said, well, hang on. And he called Chip, and Chip came around and explained to me that Dan had um, done a deal to go to Panther, and they had a seat. And if I wanted it, it was mine. <laughs> it's just one of those points of being in the right place at the right time. Uh, we did the deal, and um, three championships on the bounce. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a. I mean, the relationship is still going on. I'm still working with Chip and and the Ganassi organization. So that was a that was a good day signing that contract. Of course, again, the irony being that it was Dan Weldon that he held off for that 2010 win. Dario Franchitti's recollection now of the 94th Indianapolis 500-mile race. No, I think it was the, it had the biggest advantage, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, 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 you, I could pull away just at will in that car. It was so, so much better for whatever reason. All the cars you know, had Honda engines. 
they they were all very much spec about whatever the rubbing the guys had done on it and the setup that Chris Simmons put on it. I was able to just drive away and then of course, as always happens at Indy, I, I think don't get too comfortable. The amount of times I've driven around there thinking don't get too comfortable because something's going to happen and sure enough the the yellow flag came out like hundred and lap hundred and sixty something I think it was and all of a sudden you have to make ridiculous fuel mileage to get to the end which we which we managed um, but only just it is interesting the way things work out because as you heard him talking about dario franchitti he wins that race in 2010 with dan weldon driving the panther car running just behind him and franchitti getting weldon's old ride a year later it would be weldon who would win the race but not in that panther car but rather when the guy who was driving his old ride, J.R. Hildebrand, in that Panther machine car number four hit the wall late in the race, Dan Weldon went on to get the win in 2011. Then, Mike, the 2012 race rolls around, and Dario Franchitti, along with Scott Dixon, they didn't qualify well. As a matter of fact, 16th and 15th respectively. And for Dario Franchitti, Mike, things got interesting early in that race, and it looked like maybe before even things got underway, his day might have been done, right? Yeah, you're right. They they didn't qualify well, but they were great on carb day. And then it, they bounce back on race day. It looks like it's going to go good at the beginning, and then he gets spun right off the bat, basically, in pit lane by EJ Viso. I mean, right off the bat. And this is exactly how that sounded. Well, we had a problem up here. I haven't seen a replay yet, but as Dario Franchitti was coming in, he got tagged from behind by EJ Viso. I can't declare whose fault it was at this point, but there was contact, and Franchitti spun around, and we were lucky the crew members did not get taken out. I don't believe there are any injuries down here, but it did damage Franchitti's car. They had to train, change the front nose cone assembly, so he doesn't lose a lap. It happens under yellow, but still, all kinds of track position loss for Franchitti. Kevin Lee on the IMS radio network here at Dario Franchitti's memories of that incident with EJ Viso. We qualified not very well. Um, Honda brought some stonking engines for the race, and Dixon and I were one and two in carb day. And we thought, hmm, we might have something here. You know, moving up the field, got spun in the first pit stop all the way at the back. And Barry Wanzer, who was you know, on my radio every every race I did with, with Ganassi, he said, um, as I left the pit lane, he's like, don't worry, man. We've got a long race ahead of us. We can do this. And I, I came on the radio and made some comment like, what? I said, well, what movie are you watching? You know, you're clearly crazy. And he was right. You know, 30-something laps later, we were back in the lead. <laughs> Mike, what movie are you watching, right? I remember, boy, I'll tell you what. I mean, the way that they qualified, but then th- that was such a fun time in terms of the aerodynamics of those cars too, Mike. If you recall, he and Dixon were just swapping back and forth uh, you know, for a while over the course of the race. Yeah, that's true. But one of my favorite parts about after he got spun out was he had a duel with Ed Carpenter that doesn't really get talked about. And him and Ed were just fabulous, just running side by side, just side by side, carving up through the field. And it's just one of my favorite parts of that race was just how Dario battled back from being about 30th after that. And like he said, he, he took the lead 30 laps later. And it just him and Ed had a, just an incredible battle that I'll always remember watching because I was I was so frustrated when he got spun out. I was like, oh, man, here he is. He's back in 30th now. And and then all of a sudden he just started carving up through the field. But him and him and Ed had an incredible battle. You know, what's interesting is I think Mike, you know, Dario talked about friendships and racing, 
you know, we raced hard, but then we went out and we had fun together. We trusted each other. I don't know that you would ever say that Dario Franchini and Ed Carpenter necessarily were in that pack in terms of their socialization, but I think in those situations, you've got to trust the guy next to you and you've got to respect the guy next to you. And certainly Ed Carpenter would have the highest of respect for Dario Franchitti, but I think Dario Franchitti had the same respect for Ed Carpenter. Oh, I think I think that's the case. I mean, like I said, I was watching those two battled side by side. And, and again, you you're right. You have to have that trust. I mean, you see that obviously from your position, you, you can see who wants to run next to somebody or who wants to get by them immediately because they don't want to run next to a specific guy. And I I think that they definitely trusted each other and and they were coming up through the field together because. Uh, they were both fast and and they put on a show. I mean, it was really something to see. And and you're right. And then and then later on, Dario and Scott Dixon were just back and forth, back and forth. You know, swapping the lead back and forth between those two. So uh, it was really an incredible comeback performance. When it came down to it, though, it certainly once again, winning's never easy for Dario Franchitti in the Indianapolis 500, right, Mike? That's right. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you something about that at the end after we real quick after we uh, get through this part, but it is something kind of funny. So here we go towards the end, the final restart. Dario Franchitti and Scott Dixon had been battling, and now all of a sudden a late entry comes into play to Kuma Sato, who is trying to get his first Borg Warner trophy. The two of them went into the turn together on the final lap, and there was only room for one. Takuma Sato, the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan driver, now pulling up on the leader. Dario Franchini, will he make the move? No, he'll crash in turn number one. Jake Query, Sato crashes, trying to make the pass for the lead on the final lap of the race. Dario Franchini got through that, and Takuma Sato did not. And as a result of that, Dario Franchini, I remember saying, if, if the fuel holds up, and he can keep his hands on the wheel. He's about to become a three-time winner. That's exactly what happened. Dario Franchitti, who I think probably doesn't care one hill of beans about the fact that for the third time in as many wins, he was going to get the win under caution as opposed to green. Here is Dario Franchitti's recollection of that tussle with the Kumasato. It was no fun at all. It was absolutely zero fun at all. At the time, I was thinking, okay, here he comes, and I, you know the natural instinct is to throw the throw the block. But I know if I throw the block, I'm getting disqualified. So I kind of I I moved down as much as I could. I wasn't going to give him any more than I had to. I clearly remember turning in, thinking this thing's either going to stick or I'm going to hit the wall, and I'm not lifting. Whatever happens, and uh, it just kept sticking. And my my spotter, Scott Horner's voice was getting higher and higher because Sato was getting closer and closer. And then he eventually, when he got backwards, he hit. They had those bumper pods on behind the rear wheels, and we hit bumper pod to bumper pod. And um, I was able to gather it up, and that was it. But it was, um, yeah, that was, a, that was a crazy one. That was an absolute crazy race. And to, to finish one, two, three with Scott and Tony... Um, on that day especially was, was, was really special. When you have a guy behind you whose motto is no attack, no chance, you know he's going to stick it in there, right? <laughs> oh, I knew he was going to try because he'd been doing these sort of half passes all day. Um, and we, we got on great now. Uh, we've obviously had some history with the, the Houston accident and all that sort of stuff. We got on great. But um, at the time he came up and he was having a bit of a discussion with me after the race, um, several hours after the race, and I 
I sort of invited him to leave. <laughs> I believe I'm not going to use exact words, but I basically said, "Look, man, you're ruining my buzz. You need to leave." <laughs> <laughs> that, that victory lane ceremony was really special, though, because, um, you know, I mean, I remember you looking to the sky and, and thinking about Dan and, and how special that was when you when you got the milk, because one of the things I think is so cool about the Borg Warner is, you know, obviously you guys are, you know, immortalized, your faces are immortalized forever and, and you're surrounding Dan, you know, and, and so that's one of the things I think is the coolest thing about it is you're the 2010 winner, you're the 2012 winner, and, and in between is your buddy Dan and, and you got Tony next to you. So, I mean, you, you can't do really any better than that. Nope. Still keeping an eye on Dan all these years later. <laughs> I met him when he was six years old, and he was trouble then. And uh, uh, he was he, he was trouble in the Andretti years. We we, we were <laughs> we were like his his big brothers. Um, and then he sort of and then he settled down, and he became this sort of Zen-like person. And this you know this amazing father, and it was the most amazing transformation, and it was wonderful to watch. But it's, I am so proud to be on the trophy next to him, and and you know the TK's right there, as you say, and and to be on there with a lot of my heroes, it's it's, it's cool. As Dario had mentioned, he had an accident with Takuma Sato in 2013 in Houston. Ultimately, it ended his racing career. He was concussed. He spent a lot of time in the hospital. Here's Dario Franchitti on his career ending, kind of beyond his own power. Um, at the time, it wasn't that difficult because I was going through all kinds of difficulties anyway and wasn't particularly with it. So it really wasn't that difficult. And even when I sort of started to understand what was happening, I was kind of like, huh, okay. I was more relieved that I was still there. And as time went on, I mean, it was only sort of a couple of years later that I started to think, oh, I'd really have loved to to done some more racing or had the chance to go for four or any of those things. But, um, you know, at the time, it was just gratitude that I was in one piece and I got to do what I got to do. I could have quite easily, I think, spiraled into some sort of really negative sort of woe is me thing. And that wasn't that wasn't where I was going at all. Because if you think about the stuff I got to do, you know, that's. For, for a young guy from Scotland, that was quite a journey to, to, to go on. So I'm, I'm, I was just very, very grateful. One of the things you mentioned, Jake, was talking about the fact that, you know, he's a multi-time winner and he never took the Indianapolis 500 checkered flag, you know, at speed. He always took it with a caution flag. And I asked him one time about that and I said, does that bother you? You never got that, you know, flying across the, nope. And that was one of the favorite things I ever asked him. He's like, nope, doesn't, you know, didn't bother him at all. He's, he's got his three Borg Warner baby Borgs and, you know, he was happy about that. But one of the, one of the absolute finest people you'd ever want to meet in your life. And, and I'm so blessed that uh, he's been a friend for years. I'm just, just absolutely blessed. Tip of a drink and a bit of birthday cake for Dario Franchitti on his 49th birthday. A lot of fun talking about him tonight, Mike. Appreciate it. Yep, had a good time. Thank you. Appreciate everybody that listened. You've been listening to Beyond the Bricks.